Welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. We are those people. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel and joined by Joanna Marsh. Joanna, good to, to see you. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the latest on the two-person cruise debate. Uh, Joanna, you just wrote up an article about that. We can also talk about a Canadian Nationals' comments on some of the new regulations in Canada, which they put out as part of their winter preparedness plan. We'll talk about um, what I thought was kind of a shocking derailment um, in Colorado from a coal train. Um, unfortunately, a truck driver you know, died. We have that article written up on that on the site. And then I uh, can talk a little bit about um, what's happening in FreightWave Sonar uh, as sort of a preview of the company's reporting earnings. We do have uh, J.B. Hunt reporting tonight and then later this week. CSX and Union Pacific. I know, Joanna, you'll be following all of those very closely. Yeah, and can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so. Lots of lots of questions Actually, about the operating yeah, ratio. They say in the, in the calls, so yeah, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Good bedtime reading. No I'm kidding. Well, sort of. <laughs> yeah, the first one or two is not so bad. Um, after you've done mm -hmm. twenty or thirty in a in a period of two or three weeks, you're ready for those to be to be over. Um, are you going to be at the yeah. conference? Are, we have a conference coming up in about, uh, I guess it's not about, exactly three weeks um, from today in Chattanooga. Unfortunately, I am not going to be there, but it's still going to be a great conference. So, you know, please check it out if you're, um, I think they, they will have some presentations online if, if you don't make it to Chattanooga. Are, are you going, are you, I guess you'll probably be there. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. Um, love Chattanooga. Great place to visit in um, in the fall. Good for running if you're if you're into running or any outdoor activities. Lots of steep hills to to climb up. But, but it will be a great conference. Um, you know, like usual. Uh, there's there's our promo. We got that in there. So we have that at the Chattanooga Convention Center and uh, all sorts of shows to to join. Um, you know, tend to have certain uh, you know events for for shippers only, and you know, explain you know all that's happening in the in the freight waves uh, sonar a data product uh, we always release new sonar data products so that was a picture of the famous bridge that goes across the um, tennessee river there so i hope everyone can can, can make it uh, to that uh which is coming up in in three weeks and there's a list of uh some of the talent that's there performing um as well so Want to get into the first uh, topic here a little bit, and you um, you wrote up an article about Kansas joining the list of states mandating two-person crews. Um, you can put that up there. So this picture of BNSF uh, locomotive. Uh, figured you'd have a Western U.S. rail for for the the art there. Um, you know, talking about Kansas, and so this this state is going to mandate two-person crews. Uh, this joins California, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Arizona, Minnesota state of Washington, Nevada, Colorado, and Ohio. So it's going to be 10 states that have a two-person cruise. Of course, the unions love it. Some quotes in there from the Smart TD uh, union. And then you also had in there that in June, the AAR, um, you know, of course, wants there to you know, be able to have fewer than, than two people in a, in a cab when possible sued uh, over the fact that this AAR says that the federal law should really preempt state law. Um, you know, what's the latest on that? Sure. So, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I think, you know, the, this issue about um, whether to mandate train crew sizes, um, along with some other um, 
some issues that, that the unions are supporting. Um, on one hand, there was, you know, quite a bit of momentum um, after, uh, particularly after um, the contract negotiations from last December. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it feels like it's it's slowed down actually a little bit in terms of that momentum. And maybe that's because of um, of all the uncertainty that's coming, you know, that's happening with Congress in terms of in terms of like, you know, shutdowns and, and um, you know, will, who the leader of the Speaker of the House will be, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So so you have a lot of issues in limbo, including this, the, the question about whether to um, uh, whether federal um, whether the federal agency, uh, the, the um, FRA, <laughs> the Federal Railroad Administration, um, should uh, uh, require um, two-person crews. I mean, I think they're, they're they're looking at that right now, and and of course, so you've had all these states um, come in and, and issue their own um, laws on it. Um, and I think the 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 one um, in Kansas is take, goes into effect uh, not not quite yet. I think sometime in November. So. Um, yeah, so you know that is that you know the Association of American Railroads does have that 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 argument about you know do you know um, kind of setting that stage up again about you know whether you know federal regulation um, should preempt these state laws, um, and I think that was actually mm-hmm. um, you know their their argument being that you know if you don't want to have these this this patchwork of of regulation happening where you know some states have mm-hmm. so it's like especially since since a lot of um um train movements particularly with the larger class one railroads um is you know across state lines and so you know how does that work out and um i think something else on on their side too you kind of look at the recent um incidents involving um train derailments and, and that I have, that's actually uh some of them have actually um been um uh, have involved uh, train crews with 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 actually three or more people. Um, I was just reading mm-hmm. one today. The um, the National Transportation Safety Board um, put out sort of released to the public um, its examination of a BNSF um, train derailment um, that happened in the northern states uh, <laughs> earlier this year. I think it was a chemical spill, and uh, and I think of that one there were actually like four were crew members involved with that one. So, um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, their argument has been, you know, that, um, that, uh, safety and sort of train crew size don't necessarily have a, a neat, uh, correlation. And of course the unions will say otherwise, uh, you know, sometimes pointing to sort of, uh, quality, sort of um qualitative anecdotes like you know like uh mm-hmm. uh you know the things that do happen that you see um that uh it's beneficial to have one other person there but you you don't report it because of course nothing happens so um usually mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. some sort of you know someone um in front of the tracks so yeah so I, that's kind of where where things are at right now it's just one of those long-standing issues and um so I guess we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> with with that. I guess it'll probably take some time before I don't know see some sort of resolution one way or the other. Yeah, if if I had to guess, I would say that two person crews are going to be with us for a long time. I mean, it does seem like a lot would have to change in order for one person train crews on long haul trains to be acceptable. I mean, there's no federal law currently 
that mandates two person crews, but the union rules do. So I guess in theory, right now it's something that unions could negotiate away. I don't think they will, but in theory they could, but all of these states making their own laws makes that very difficult. And that's to say nothing of the FRA, which may mandate two person crews, which makes all of those 10 state laws essentially irrelevant. So I think one way or another, we'll two two person crews will be with us for some time. I think we'll probably see robo taxis and uh, autonomous driving, you know, vehicles, um, you know, trucks before we see um, even one person um, crew on a train, let alone a, a zero person crew. So that's where I think we are. Um, I want to move on to the next topic here, which um, this was uh, pretty interesting. The, the Canadian National, and I almost didn't spend too much time reading this because you know Canadian National publishes a winter preparedness report every year this time. I mean, winter comes every year. That's pretty foreseeable, but they seem to use this as an opportunity this time to uh, make their uh, case that some of the regulations that have come down the pipe in uh, Canada, at least from the railroad's perspective, have been an overreach. And so, you know, this, this report is sort of on the surface. They talk about just you know how many locomotives they have in place, the crews they have in place, why the they're going to have um, you know decent you know service. But um, you know you highlight that you know some of these there's some of these new regulations like this Bill C forty seven, which reintroduced the extended switching in the Prairie provinces. Um, so I guess that would be in Western Canada, uh, starting in September, starting on, starting on September twentieth, so about a month old, and that. Um, basically enables a longer area where there could be inner switching, which is what Canadians call would call you know, you know, the reciprocal switching in the U.S. And so currently, or at least before that rule, it was 30 kilometers, so 18 miles, and that's being extended from 30 kilometers to 160 kilometers, that's 100 miles. And so potentially that could give rise to more inner switching opportunities that the, that the shippers would be able to require um and then cn sort of you know kind of says that this is one one way that um you know things could be worse from a service perspective is 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 that regulation and then they then they list another couple of other regulations here they say that there's a new duty and rest period that went into effect earlier this year that cut the number of max hours from 18 to, to 12 um you know that seems like maybe a good a good law to me uh, seems like you'd be pretty fatigued after um, you know the the sixteenth or seventeenth hour on the job. I know I would be. Um, the next uh, thing they they highlight is the replacement worker uh, legislation. So uh, government in Canada is going to introduce legislation by the end of twenty twenty three, banning the use of temporary replacement workers. And so, my, at least my understanding is like when I used to cover Canadian National, the investor relations people would tell me that one of the ways that they deal with strikes is that they have non-union employees that do basically office work that are trained to fill in when they can um but it sounds like that would be um it w- would be impossible under under new uh, regulation so it's almost like canadian national you know at some point the winter causes service disruptions you know we don't know whether it's going to be a avalanche or a you know, polar vortex in Chicago or, or what exactly it's going to be, but it's almost like they're making excuses in advance and blaming the government in advance for potential disruptions to rail service that have not taken place yet. Is, is that how you've felt about it? 
Well, you know, it, it, I, you know, I, I kind of felt kind of similar, you know, I had kind of similar impressions in the sense that, you know, I mean, winter happens every, <laughs> every year, and especially in Canada and, you know, and, and, and it gets cold, mighty cold out there. Eh? And <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and, but yeah, but you know, what, what struck me about this report was just sort of like, well, we have all these regulations and who knows what will happen, what would really happen if, you know, once we factor in all these regulations, um, and so, um, y you know, I, I, I guess, I, I suppose in, in their situation, you, you, you're, you're trying to sort of portray a, a worst case scenario <laughs> or potential worst case scenarios that could happen. Um, when the reality is, uh, well, you probably hope for everyone <laughs> would be something uh, less severe. I mean, I mean, even for you know CN, um, you wouldn't necessarily want um, a meltdown to happen. And then, I mean, even if it theoretically is, uh, even even if the regulations do play some factor, I think you know they would still get you know a good share of the blame. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, but but the. But the idea that this is sort of the 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 the, the, reg, the uncertainty about how the regulations will affect um, winter operations, sort of underpinning like the the, the whole report, was kind of an interesting um, uh, um, uh, view that they took that they might not not necessarily have had um, as much um, um, yeah in, in in past winter reports, so. Yeah, they also mentioned some positive things in there too that could potentially help them. Like, I mean, not just the resources in place, but partnering with Norfolk Southern to operate intermodal through Detroit and Chicago, extending the network reach, you know, for the partnership of some of these other railroads, which seems like it was something that was a competitive response to the Canadian Pacific acquiring Kansas City uh, Southern. Um, and then, they, of course, they talk about some of the things they have to do when they when um, the temperatures get to be extremely uh, cold, like. They talked about the number of 25 negative days where the temperature tends to be below negative 25. And in some parts of Western Canada, it's between 25 and 35 days. So you really have to run the train slower, run the train shorter in order to get the air through the, the air brakes. Um, but want to move on to the next uh, topic here. This was kind of a shocking one, at least to me. I mean, you know, derailments happen all the time, but this one just kind of, um, you know, that, that that one piece of art that we have on um, that I think you found from Twitter shows this. So this is an NTSB um, is investigating deadly um, BNSF coal train derailment in Colorado. Unfortunately, truck driver uh, died um, on the scene and there's on I-25 in Colorado. Uh, we have a picture that shows, um, you know, kind of exactly, not exactly what happened, but uh, kind of the aftermath there. And and that's the thing that really, um, that I thought was shocking. So this is a coal train and uh, railroad cars, it, when they're fully loaded, can be as heavy as 286,000 pounds, uh, what they call gross vehicle weight. So that would be the weight of the rail car uh, in addition to, the weight of the payload. And so, you know, it's not going to be clear until there's an investigation exactly what happened, whether that was a derailment that caused that that bridge to, to to buckle, or maybe it was just there was too much weight and the train was was stopped. I can only kind of kind of speculate, but you can see all the coal there um, that that's that's been dumped. Those those coal cars are open on the top. They're you know open top hoppers um primarily is what's moved you know coal or gondolas those are also open on the top so let's see the big you know spill of 
of Cole. That's a photograph from a Colorado uh, State Patrol um, about the, the incident. But is there, is there any more detail on, on this one? Um, you know, I, I, you know, there's some headlines that I saw and I confess I haven't really, I, I didn't, um, look at the articles thoroughly to see, but like the, there is some question about who, um, who, who is responsible for the maintenance of that road. I, I think, um, state officials are saying that it's BNSF that is, should be maintaining the bridge and BNSF is saying that, um, it's actually the state's um, you know, it, it's something that the state should be handling. Um, I mean, those are the headlines I saw, so I'm not sure what the latest update on that is. Um, and then of course there are some other headlines that I saw where, um, you know, um, Colorado is, is suggest, you know, sort of rail safety legislation in light of, um, this incident. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, I had wanted to post in the store and I was unable to do it. Um, there are actually some other tweets um, by the uh, Colorado State Patrol of the incident, and there's actually one video. It's actually, it, it's 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 kind of um, you, you see, it's kind of a shocking video. I mean, you, you kind of you know you see the the the, the uh, coal car is just kind of you know scattered all over the place, and you see the coal all, mm. all out of the cars, and it, so it is kind of uh it's like, oh my gosh, that, that's a big mess. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, you know, I, 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 you know, I feel badly about that, that truck driver who just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, you know, if he's just was only, I mean, you can always say if only, but you know, if, if only you just see like a minute earlier, a little minute later, I don't know. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that, that question about who, who maintains that bridge, um, you know, that'll probably be something that'll, um, uh, be looked at over the next several weeks. Yeah, we'll have to wait for the investigation to see exactly what, what happened. I'll go and check out that um, the video. I was not aware of that. Um, our last topic here. I just want to run through a few uh, sort of sonar charts. Um, so we'll get more detail from companies as they report. But sort of going into that third quarter, bring up this total car loads chart, which is from the AAR. Uh, data, if we can get that total car loads, uh, you know, chart on the screen, and this is you know, one, really one of the reasons why a lot of the analysts are, um, you know, a little cautious going into uh, the third quarter, uh, you know, earnings reports you see in 2023 is that white line, and the the quarters get compared, you know, primarily versus the year ago, you know, period, and you see that in in green, so so pretty significant, um, you know, drop in overall volume when you're looking at the carload side of the business. And, you know, a big part of that is a lot of the industrial uh, commodities. So things that are sensitive to higher interest rates, we've seen you know, a big drop in like lumber, um, you know, car loadings. And, um, you know, there are some, some pockets of strength with things like, you know, motor vehicles, which are still are pretty strong, you know, despite the, um, the strike in uh, Detroit. But, um, you know, sort of all things considered, those those volumes a little weaker than I think um, most people anticipated going into the quarter. I think one of the big events in the quarter that I know you wrote up for the site was Union Pacific talking down their numbers at a Wall Street conference. Uh, and that was partially because of the disappointing volume and, and also higher costs. The railroads have, have faced a lot of cost inflation as a result of higher wages um, and equipment rents and those things. Uh, the next uh, uh chart I want to show is heading on the, on the, on the domestic intermodal side of the business. So uh, this is the O-Rail DUML for anyone that has a sonar. And those volumes have ticked up. Um, you can see in the white line is 2023. And they had been sort of lackluster kind of all year. 
most of the carriers had talked about how those volumes have been not improving as much as they had been you know, seasonally. And that was even true for most of the third quarter. But uh, starting in about late September, really started to see some degree of normal seasonality in the domestic intermodal volume. And so, um, you know, when I you know, sort of look at that, I see, you see volume is up about 5% when you, when you consider sort of month over month, when you look at the sort of the first part of uh, October versus the first part of uh, September um, in the third quarter, overall volume was still down 1.2% quarter over quarter, but you still look in October, um, it, it's up uh, year over year about two, two and a half percent. So I think that's one thing that we'll, we'll hear from, you know, J.B. Hunt uh, this afternoon when they report is that the volume trends have improved you know, somewhat, uh, this is really sort of J.B. Hunt's primary, you know, market in its intermodal uh, segment, in addition to, you know, Hub Group and, and, and Schneider, those companies that compete, um, and then the domestic, uh, you know, intermodal side, would still think there's plenty of excess capacity in domestic intermodal. Recall earlier this year, J.B. Hunt was saying on this analyst calls, there's about 15 to 20% excess capacity, and still think there's some degree of excess, even if it's not quite you know, at that range. Um, I want to turn to the next one, which is intermodal rates. Um, and these are specifically intermodal spot rates, if we can get that up on the screen. And so what we have in Sonar is we have a breakdown of intermodal spot rates on 100 lanes. And this is an average of those uh, 100 lanes. And what happens uh, sometimes is that the the rates rise uh, as we get later into the year, like it did there in 2020 and, and, and 2021. Um, 2022, it took off of, of, of there, but um, but really that, that would be a downward slope. Uh, last year, there really wasn't much of any much um, you know tightness towards the end of the year. You know, have seen that white line, which is 2023, increase slightly. So you look at the total average of those 100 uh, lanes went from a dollar 66 to a dollar 73. Not really a big deal for most of the lanes. Um, you know, last year at this time it was about 225, so still uh, lower than it was a year ago. And really, that suggests to me that the carriers are not concerned about having capacity protected for the big contractual shippers. So they are willing to entertain uh, spot activity uh, for the most part. One of the lanes that's bringing up that average is the Chicago to Dallas lane. Which in the latest data point went from a dollar seventy-eight to two dollars and fifteen cents from the first week week of October to the second week of October, and so uh, that's one area where if you're going north south, you know shippers might see a little bit of, of tightness, but not seeing a lot of evidence in the tightness of tightness in those um, sort of dominant sort of long haul east west lanes in uh, intermodal. The next uh, sonar chart I want to bring up is um, maybe the one, if I could only show one, it would probably be this one, is the intermodal contract rates, which we're getting from a company that processes, um, you know, payments, transactions, um, you know, interactions between, you know, shippers, intermediaries, and and carriers. And so this is a, an average of uh, what really what I would call purely domestic intermodal transactions and you know by purely domestic i mean not just in the 53 foot containers but also in a lot of lanes that are not anchored by a port city that are more competitive with uh, the the highway um, there's a lot of intermodal in here there's a lot of cpg in here and that white line is the 2023 number and you've seen that fall throughout the year and this latest data point is down about 17% year over year and 
That does not include uh, the volatility in fuel. So fuel surcharges are excluded from that down 17% number. And some of the companies that we um, interact with um, on the shipper side, you know, companies that move um, either retailers or moving you know, consumer packaged goods, some of them have put out their their bids recently. And some of them are saying, well, when we're dealing with the asset-based intermodal companies, specifically the ones that own lots of containers, it's some of the bids are coming back even um, you know more beneficial to the shippers than down seventeen percent you know down you know t- sort of twenty to thirty percent, um, and it's really because the the intermodal companies have taken delivery of lots of containers. They want to keep those containers uh, turning, and are willing to cut rates to to, to do it. So um, that's a little bit of what we're seeing in sonar. So a little bit of a mixed um, you know picture, and uh, would say that there's still plenty of uh, capacity available in uh, the, the freight markets. Uh, quickly, just want to highlight um, one of our upcoming shows, which um, is it next week or is it a week from now? We're, we're talking with Dan Walsh, CEO of Track Intermodal, kind of as a follow-on to one of the articles that that, that you wrote. You did, you did a Q&A um, with him. I'll have to think of some other uh, good good questions um, you know, for him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just kind of looking at, uh, you know, so so uh, track intermodal, they they're uh, you know they they specialize in, in chassis and sort of chassis, you know, the question about chassis availability and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's actually, I think that might be two weeks from now, or will run two weeks from now. So, um, so you know, be sure to check that out when it comes out. That's right. It just brought up my calendar. It's October thirtieth. We'll have a interview um, that'll air with Dan Walsh, CEO of Track Intermodal. Uh, next week, uh, we'll probably just run through um, whatever happens in the world of uh, freight uh, railroad um, in the next few days. But um, with that, hope everyone has a good one.